Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Good morning. Good to see you. Maybe you're looking like you're waiting as the kind of the video rolled in. You're like, oh, what are we going to talk about in the writings of Luke? Then you saw money and you immediately found the exit. You're like, please get me out of this time right now. Well, let me prep you, okay? I want to prep you because we are talking over the next three months about the very pleasant, exciting, wildly popular, always applauded, Oh gosh, somebody said, oh gosh. <laughs> Topics, we're going to talk about finances and we're going to talk about hell. Amen. Ah, it's like, you're like, so if you're like, I don't yet have reasons yet to not follow Jesus. You may in the next three months have all the reasons you need not to follow Jesus. Now, I, I say that to be funny. I don't want you to move away from following Jesus in the next three months. I don't want that. But I have to be honest that these are going to be some uh, disruptive uh, messages. They're going to stretch us. They're going to challenge us. Because the idea of money, the idea of the afterlife, those are the two topics we're talking about, money, and then um, we'll talk about the afterlife after money. Uh, they're not, they're not the, the sermons and the messages that people get like necessarily really excited about or the topics people want to approach. And and uh, so I just want to prepare you for that. Now, I think we'd be dishonest, though, as pastors, if we didn't talk about these topics. Because Jesus talks a lot about money, a lot about finances, and a lot about the afterlife. So if you wanted to skip over that stuff, you'd have to really skip over a lot of the teaching of Jesus. And we don't want to do that. And I know, I just confess, there are times, like as a pastor, right, we're people pleasers. Like, we like applause, right? We like people to follow us. We like people to join the church. We like people to continue to go to the church. And so sometimes we shy away from those challenging messages. But I don't think that's fair to you. And I don't think that's really a good rep representation of handling the word of God well. Plus, you're going to find these things out anyways if you're reading the Bible. <laughs> it's like I can hide you from the teaching of Jesus. It's, it's right there. And here's what I think you'll find is that the teaching of Jesus on these two topics is incredibly vital for your life. That Jesus wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be in a place of favor. 
and how we handle the topics of the afterlife and how we handle the topic of money are essential for us to living, living under the favor of God. So yes, this is going to stretch you. Yes, this is going to challenge you. It's going to challenge me. It's going to challenge all of us. But I think if we follow the teachings of Jesus here on these topics, we will find God's favor. We will find God's blessing in our life. And not just our life now, but really our life later. What comes after death. We will be in a place of reward and a place of blessing if we take these messages to heart. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you kind of the big idea of the entire next three months. I know you're thinking, wow, you saved me a lot of notes. No, it doesn't mean don't take notes for the next three months. What it means is you're going to see kind of the overarching theme of the next kind of 12 messages. And I want to give that to you today. We're going to get it from our passage in Luke chapter 6 in the teaching of Jesus to his disciples. So the big idea is this. If you write down one thing, I want you to write this down. Live for later. Live for later. Here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is in the teaching of Jesus and in the teaching of the New Testament, really in the Old Testament as well, the scriptures really guide our minds to the future. They guide our minds to the end. They guide our minds to a day that is coming. And this day should inform our present. We should live knowing that day is coming. And specifically, and I think Jesus especially, in his teaching will narrow the idea of later to a specific day, a day of judgment, a day of reckoning, a day of vindication, a day of reward, and a day of loss. There's a time when God wraps up all of human history. And some experience loss at that moment, some experience great reward at that moment. And what Jesus wants us to do, he wants us to live with later in mind. Now it doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to to be mindful of the present or he wants us to be absent-minded or he wants us to, you know, always just be floating in the clouds thinking about the future. No, no, no. That's not what it means. What it means is, is our present attitudes and our present actions, we judge on the later day. We evaluate them based on how will they be rewarded or how will we receive loss because of them. I'm looking forward. I'm living for later, not for now. What Jesus will do in Luke chapter 6, we'll see in our passage, is he's going to talk about two groups. Two groups of people. Those who live for later and those who live for now. And what he'll say is that those who are living for later are blessed by God. And those who live for now, who are caught up in the moment, only thinking about present pleasures, are going to lose out in the end. In the end, it'll take them by surprise. In the end, they'll have a reversal of fortunes. In the end... They thought they were happy, but at the end, sorrow will be in their future forever. So it's a very serious, a very sobering topic we're talking about. But let's jump into the teachings of Jesus and let's look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, as Jesus describes and encourages his disciples to live for later. Okay, let's jump in. Luke chapter 6 verse 20. Again, I want you to think of two groups. Jesus is talking about two groups. Those who live for later and those who live for now. Those who are blessed and those who are, well, cursed. Or will experience a, a woe is how Jesus will say it. He, he speaks a, a sorrow over them that their future is not one that is pleasant. He'll say, woe are you. Okay, let's go to the first group. Verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor. 
for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Okay, so we start to see that kind of time dynamic. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. That's one group. Here's the second group. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for, their, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now it's very important as we kind of walk through this passage, what we don't want to do is we don't want to zoom in too much. And here's what I mean by that. When we're reading the scriptures, we're always kind of zooming in and zooming out and zooming in and zooming out so we can understand the teaching of Jesus. And what happens at times is if we forget to do one or the other, we miss what Jesus is saying or we miss what one of the apostles are trying to teach us. Here's what happens if we zoom in too much in this passage. When we zoom in too much, we'll take it as if Jesus were talking about eight different groups. Okay, he's talking about the poor, that's group number one. He's talking about the hungry, that's group number two. The weeping, that's group number three. The hated, that's group number four. He's talking about the rich, that's group number five. He's talking about the full, that's group number six. He's talking about those who laugh, that's seven. And those who are like, that's eight. Now we have eight different groups of people. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is talking about two different groups, two opposing ideas, contrasting ideas. And those groups have four characteristics. So we can't treat it as eight things. Really, when you see two groups described in four different ways. Because what happens is what we don't want to do is when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, what we think of is like everybody who's ever experienced poverty is under the favor of God. Or when Jesus says, you know, bless are you when you're hated or reviled or mistreated. Jesus is not saying everyone who's ever been called a meanie pants. I don't know if that's the insult that you received, but I get that a lot. You're a meanie pants. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that means. But, right, it's Jesus saying, blessed are you if anybody has ever mistreated you. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is narrowing the focus to his followers. Right, let me show you this. Look at Matthew chapter, or sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 20. It says, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Who's he talking to? His followers, his faithful followers, his disciples. And he says, blessed are you who are poor. So Jesus already narrowed the focus. He's talking about who? Not all the poor ever in the history of the world. He's talking about the poor among his followers. Look at the last description he gives of this group. He said, blessed are you. I'm in verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil. On account of the Son of Man. What is he saying here? Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for himself. He's not saying, hey, has anybody ever been mean to you or mistreated you? God loves you. Now, it's true. God does love you. But that's not what he's talking about in this passage. He's saying, if anybody mistreats you because of your allegiance to me, 
you're blessed. If you're hated because of me, you're blessed. You see how Jesus is narrowing the focus? He's talking about faithful followers of him. And we also see this kind of narrowing of focus because really he ends these two descriptions of these groups with a reference back to something in Israel's past. Look at verse 23. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for behold your reward is great in heaven, for so their prophets did, or fathers did to the prophets. Verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. See, Jesus is describing these groups and he's saying one group is like the prophets of the Old Testament. Faithful to the word of God, serving God and serving the people. And then there are the false prophets who spoke false, spoke false words to the people and told them things that were not true and were not faithful to God. You see how there's like two groups he's talking about. What Jesus has in mind is something spiritual, not just something financial or not just people who are grieving or have been mistreated. Jesus is saying, my faithful followers who are described like this and those who are faithless, who are false in their teaching, who aren't devoted to me and are described like this. we got to put these descriptions in kind of two big camps. Okay, now let's look at this first description. This group is described as being poor, hungry, mourning, and hated. That sounds like a fun group. Right? The second group is the rich, the full, the laughing, and the liked. If we were opening up small groups, opening up life groups for you, and we say, hey, we got only two groups left, and we are starting groups. If you want to get into a group, get into community, I hope that you do that. There are only two more spots, I think, available for our journey group in this cycle, which is really exciting. So if you want to know more about that, go to the first steps group or first steps table out there in the lobby. But imagine if you saw on our list of groups and you're like, oh, what group do I want to get interested in? Okay, I've got this group, the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the hated. Oh, it meets on Wednesdays, can't do that. You know, and then and you look at another group and you're like, ooh, the rich, the full, the laughing, and the liked. I could clear out Wednesday, I can make that group work. Right? That, that's clearly the group that we would admire. That's clearly the group we want to be a part of. And what Jesus says, you know, in following me, that's not the descriptions that really are going to fit you. The descriptions that are going to fit you are, yes, you're going to be poor, hungry, weeping, and even hated at times. But notice what Jesus will do. Jesus will describe this group and he'll say, but this group has something. They have the kingdom of God. And... They won't always be in that state. They won't always be weeping. They won't always be mourning. They won't always be hungry. Let's go to the first kind of descriptor of this group, the faithful, who are likened to the prophets of the Old Testament. Jump back again to verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now what does Jesus mean by that term poor? Is Jesus talking about the amount in your accounts? Is that what he's talking about? I actually don't think so. I think there's a connection to that, yes. But I think what Jesus is talking about here is more about your attitude than the amounts in your accounts. I think what Jesus is talking about here is a humility, a dependence upon God. Here's how I get that. Matthew, another gospel writer, when he's referring to the teachings of Jesus, look at how he phrases this. He records Jesus saying this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See how he added that word? That helps us to clarify what Jesus is talking about. Are you poor in spirit? And again, I think what that's talking about is humility and dependence. Which I think matches with the Old Testament. There's a writer of many of the Psalms or songs in the Old Testament. If you go to the middle of your Bible, you'll probably land on Psalms. And the Psalms are songs that the people of God would sing. And there was a writer of the Psalms, very popular, his name was David. And David several times would call himself poor and needy. Now that's interesting, because David was the king of Israel. Is that guy poor? No. He was very rich. He was very wealthy. So what is he communicating when he says he's poor? What I think he's communicating is a humble dependence upon God. God, if, if you don't supply, I have nothing. If you don't shower your resources upon me, I have nothing. He's not this like self-made, self-sufficient, self-reliant person. Right? Totally independent from God. Totally away from his resources. I've got this by my hand. I've done all this work. No. That's not... That's not what Jesus says is blessed. No, the the poor are those who humbly before God say, I'm so dependent upon you. If I don't have you, I have nothing. And he says, that kind of humble dependency, Jesus says, you're blessed because yours is the kingdom of God. You are living under God's rule and reign. You are experiencing favor under him as he rules your life. Now notice this about poverty because I think this is really really interesting which kind of shows us that I think we're on the right track when we call this poverty more about humility and dependence is look at the next verse he talks about two more descriptions but these ones pass away he said blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied so what is he saying your state of hunger won't be forever it will eclipse it will turn to something new it'll pivot it'll change there'll be a reversal You're hungry now, but then you'll be satisfied. The next one, he says, you will weep now, but then you'll laugh. So he's talking about, and these two things are things that pass away. Poverty, on the other hand, does not. He didn't say that it passed away. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. I don't think we ever get out of a state of humble dependency upon God. I think even even in the new heavens and the new earth, as God wraps up everything and brings it into the eternal state, when that happens, we are still humbly dependent upon God. We're not all powerful. We're not self-sufficient. He still sustains us. But there is something that will change. And this is where we start to get into that idea of later. Jesus described the poor in spirit, the humbly dependent upon God. Yours is the kingdom now. And then he says... Right now you're going to mourn. Right now you're going to weep. Right now you're going to be hungry. But one day you'll be satisfied. One day you'll be comforted. Now what is he talking about there? I don't think he's talking about your belly being filled with food. Now it's true. The great day of the Lord is described as a banquet many times. Especially in the prophet Isaiah. Where God will write all things. The day of judgment. The day of reckoning. Vindication. The day of reward. The day of loss. Where God will write everything. Where he vindicates vindicates the oppressor. Where he punishes evil and rewards faithfulness. That great day. After that day he describes this giant party and banquet. Where God serves us a meal. Yes, that sounds awesome. I bet it's going to be really good. My guess it's brisket. Just throwing that out there. I'm not going to be disappointed whatever it is. Okay, Maybe for you it's sauerkraut. 
I hope you're away from me in heaven forever. Okay? In your little corner eating your sauerkraut, I'll eat my brisket. But that described like a, a satisfaction of a meal, right, is there. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Again, I think we need to do that zoom in, zoom out thing. I think we need to zoom out and see the context of what Jesus is saying. I don't think he's talking about our bellies being filled. And, and at this point, I don't think he's talking about personal grief. Now, yes, your grieving heart will one day be comforted. But this is not what Jesus is talking about here. I think what Jesus is talking about is a prophetic mourning, a prophetic hunger. Where do I get that? I get that from the end of our passage where he says, Blessed are you when people exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil on the count of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leave for joy, for behold, your word is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. See, this is the context of what Jesus is saying. He says, the prophets of the Old Testament used to speak the word of God to the people. They mourned and they wept. When? See, the prophets were, in some sense, you could say this, cursed with a vision of how things should be. The people of God would go away from God's design. They would, they would go away from God's rule. They would say, I don't want what you have for us. We're going to go our own way. That's really the start of the story of humanity. God created us, put us in a wonderful place of perfect fellowship. And he said, hey, here are the rules for your flourishing. If you follow this way, you follow my design, things are going to work perfectly. It will be great. We'll have fellowship together. I will walk with you in the coolness of the day. Man. And then we mess it up. Because we veered off. We said, you know what, God, I, how about I make the rules? How about I do what I want to do? I kind of like this whole God thing that you got going on. Can I have some of that? And we veered off. And when we veer away from God's design, we enter a place of brokenness. And so the prophets who received the word of God to give it to the people, when they would see this brokenness, they would weep and they would mourn. They'd weep and say, that's not how God wanted it to be. It's not how he designed it. The garden was so beautiful, so perfect. And this is a mess. And so they would weep. And they would hunger for what God would do. A day when God would restore everything. He would fix it all. Clean up all the mess. Mend all the brokenness. And so when the prophets looked out on the people, they would mourn. They would weep. They'd have this holy hunger. This is not how it should be. It's not how it will be, but now we have to wait. As a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what we do. When we look at our present world, look at our present culture, we weep, we mourn, and we are hungry. We are hungry because we know it should be better. We know it was made to be better, and we know it will be better. But until it gets better, we're not better. We're frustrated. We're discontent. We're dissatisfied. We mourn, we weep, we are hungry with a holy hunger. Now, now, this is important. Look at this. Look at how he describes the reversal of fortunes. Yes, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Okay, we're going to nerd out a little bit here, okay? Just for a little bit, we're going to nerd out. Notice how the reaction, the response, for you shall be satisfied and you, for you shall laugh. What's being described here is what we often call um, 
the divine passive. When a verb is placed in the passive form, that means its subject is not mentioned. Who is performing this action? Who is making us be satisfied? Who is making us laugh? And what the authors of the New Testament would often do is they'd use the passive voice out of reverence for God. So even though they don't name the subject, they're saying, no, God is behind this. This is an example of the divine passive. God will satisfy you. You shall be satisfied. You shall be in a place of laughter. Why? Because God has brought you into that place. That is very important. Why? Because we don't satisfy ourselves. We don't comfort our mourning and weeping. God's day of reckoning, his day of judgment, that will do that. This is very important for us to remember, especially as we enter into a political cycle. As we start, you know, like, pastor, don't do it. You're talking about money and politics and hell later? Good luck. See ya. We'll have a new pastor by 2025. Right? I hope not. <laughs> but we got to be very careful. Right? You should vote. Absolutely. I'm going to promote you to vote. In fact, I'll tell you, everywhere you're supposed to vote. Just kidding. I'll do that. And you're like, <gasps> but I want you to vote. Right? Do good. Do good. Be a loving person. Contribute to your society. Do good and vote. But vote in a sober way because you, after you cast your ballot, and even if your candidate gets voted in, guess what? You're still going to weep and mourn. Because the day of reckoning hasn't come yet. King Jesus hasn't come yet. He hasn't brought the eternal kingdom yet. He hasn't right all the wrongs yet. You're still waiting for that day. You're still living for later. So you're going to groan until we get there. Until he brings it. You don't bring it. We don't bring it. We have to wait for it. Now this is what that means for us. As Christians, we have to be content with discontentment until Jesus comes. We have to be content with discontentment. This is not how it should be. This is not what's good for us. This is not good for humanity. This is not the way of human flourishing. But one day, one day, my king will come and justice will reign. And he, he will vindicate the oppressed. He will reward the obedient. He will bring a day that I'm longing for. Do you see the reversal then? I'm going to weep and mourn like the prophets until the great day of the Lord comes. I have to wait. And you know what that means? That last descriptor, this is when it comes into play. That means you're going to run into friction with this world because the world is going to live a different way. And when you live a different way, those currents are going to pass each other. If you think, no, there'll never be conflict, you're crazy. Okay, I love you. I'm saying that as a compassionate pastor. You're a crazy person. If you think living in different directions is never going to cause friction, it's going to cause, it's going to cause friction. And there'll be maybe times where you are in a position where you're hated. Not because, not because you're, you're a jerk, right? Not because you're rude, but because you're living for later. You're living for later. That's where your hope is. And all of your actions and all of your attitudes, the way you treat your neighbors, the, the way you make career choices, the way you handle your finances, the, the, the coffee you drink in the morning. Okay, not that last one, right? But every choice you make is informed by later. And so you're thinking about the judgment throne of God. So when your boss says, you need to do this, you think to myself, that, okay, that's cool, but King Jesus is going to judge me one day. And I'm not bringing this action to judgment day. I'm not. So I will not do what you've asked me to do because I'm living differently because I'm waiting for his performance review. Not yours. Right? 
And so that's going to cause, and that's going to cause moments of friction. Now, it doesn't mean you're always going to be hated. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Luke would say. In Luke chapter 4, as this new movement is growing, this new Christian movement is growing after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it starts to grow and expand. And Luke records in in Acts chapter 4 that the church found favor with all the people. So yes, is there going to be a time where you get a, yay, good job? Absolutely. But in the main, the general posture will be one of antagonism and not applause. If you're going for the popular crowd, don't follow Jesus. It's not a good, you're not going to get that end. If you're going for the applause, don't follow Jesus. There's no guarantee that you'll hear an applause. There's none. Sometime you'll have to just take that on. This is a moment where I'm living for later and not for now. Where his voice is more important to me than the voices I hear telling me not to do what I'm doing. But I know what King Jesus says and I know what I want to hear later. And so I'm letting that inform my present. Living for later. Now, Jesus gets the contrasting group here. And this is where it gets hard. This is where the woes come. Now, we need to hear these woes in the right kind of tone. I think we need to hear a tone of sorrow, a tone of compassion. Jesus isn't like, yeah, told you so. That's not what he's doing. I think it's a sorrow that he's like, man, that is unfortunate. That you find yourself at that later day and your fortunes are reversed. You were filled, but now you'll be empty forever. Oh, you were laughing, but now you're mourning forever. That's not fun. And that's why Jesus says, woe are you. Look at verse 23. But woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. And notice this. like He just, dramatic contrast of the present affairs of these two groups. The first group he said, blessed are you who are poor. Right? We say poor in spirit, the humbly dependent upon God. For yours is the kingdom of God. You have it right now. But he says to the rich, woe are you because all you got is your money. Now you may be thinking, that sounds pretty good. I have my money. That's great. But that's it. That's all you have. All you have is that. All you have is the amount in your account. Let me tell you, there are some who have a lot in their accounts. But their arrogance, their self-made posture, it's not truly satisfying deeply to their soul. There are many who are rich and miserable. I mean, it doesn't make for a great TV program, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, right? (laughs) Lifestyles of the Rich and Sorrowful. Nobody's going to watch. Well, maybe we would watch that. We're kind of a weird people. But look, this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, okay, that's all you got. You got your riches. Now, he does this disparity between, okay, they have the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a lot better than full bank accounts. You're right with God, your creator. Okay, you've got massive funds over here. Okay, good for you. Now Jesus is going to do, he's going to contrast their futures. And they are devastatingly different. Look at how he describes it. Verse 25. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and you shall weep. Woe to you when all the people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Man, I love this description here. 
Because I think Jesus' Jewish hearers would have heard these words, the false prophets, and they could have think of so many stories in, in the history of their people. Of when the prophets would come in to deliver a, a message. And the prophets were esteemed very highly in Israel's history. They were the ones who would speak the very words of God. But sometimes they were conflicting. Not because God was conflicting. It's because people were lying. And what often would happen is the, the, the true prophet would come in with the very unpopular message. And he would say, guys, this is not how things should be. I'm mourning over what's happening. I'm hungry for, for holiness. I'm hungry that we get back on track with God. We need to stop doing this or God will judge us. And there are occasions in the Old Testament where we had people, a lot of prophets, a, a large group of people, would be like, no, 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 everything is fine. Drink, get married. It's okay. Don't worry about all these invaders. We'll be fine. But Israel knows their history. When they listened to the false prophets, they lost. They lost. And so I think they're thinking of those parties. And they're thinking of those moments where they just had fun and ignored the present reality. Had fun and just ignored that they were not in line with God's ways. And then judgment came. When we look at this idea of, of being full and, and, and being satisfied and, and, and laughing, I think we really need to think of the shallow joy of the fool, which is a big theme in the Old Testament literature. The shallow joys of a fool. It's like the laughter of a drunk. Right? They're intoxicated. They're inebriated. Right? Their, their, their vision is blurred. Their senses are impaired. And yeah, they're laughing. And yeah, they're telling jokes. And things look good. But they're unaware of their, the damage they're bringing upon themselves and those around them. They're just throwing their life away. Ruining themselves. But they laugh for a moment. That's the picture given here. Is that there's almost this indifference at the injustice of this world. Oh, people are mourning. Things are broken. Ah, just be indifferent. Just, just, just drink a little bit more. Smoke a little bit more. And then you'll feel a lot better about the mess of this world. That's what he's saying. And what Jesus is saying is there's going to be a great reversal that happens. That shallow joy that you had will be turned to mourning Forever. That sense of satisfaction that you felt that wasn't true and definitely wasn't lasting will be turned to an eternal hunger. Can you imagine that? Eternally aware of your sense of loss. Always being hungry and never satisfied. Jesus says, I don't want that for you. Hear me. I don't want that. For you. Nobody wants that for you. I want you to live with the end in mind. That that day, that day of reckoning, that day of judgment, that day of vindication, that day of reward, that day of loss, that that would inform your present thinking and change your current behaviors. Because that day is coming. Jesus warns that that day is coming. And to ignore it is not going to do anything. You can't drive past that day. Oh, that's not how it works. It'll confront you. It'll stop you. And then you'll stand there and say, oh, no. Man, I was rich. I was full. Laughing and I was liked. But now I'm in poverty. I'm 
bankrupt forever. Weeping and mourning, that's my future. Hunger, that's my future. I was liked, but now I'm lost forever. We have to live for later, not just for now. You know, I, th- I think our finances are actually a good picture of how we're either living for later or living for now. Right? I want to do this. I want to perform a little thought experiment here. And we're going to see this kind of unpacked later on the weeks that come on when we talk about money. This is the underlining kind of big picture idea. But that kind of posture of living definitely plays out in our finances. So I, I want you to do this thought experiment in your head. Don't say anything out loud. It might be convicting your response. Okay? <laughs> so I want you to just, just picture this. Picture I, if I were able to give a history of your transactions, your receipts, just for the last year. Credit cards, bank accounts, checks you've written if you're still one of those people who write checks, right? Thank you for slowing down the line at Costco. I appreciate you so much. Um, I mean, geez, there's four kids just eating me, literally, biting my flesh. How much was it? Oh, i got to start again. Dude, don't be that person, okay? Don't be that person. I'm just kidding. That's not what this is about, right? But however it works, right, whether it's your checkbook or your, your credit card transactions or bank account, if I were to give all of those, a record of those transactions for the year to a random stranger, would they come to the conclusion that you're a Christian? You're like, I don't like this answer. I don't. Stop asking these questions. Would they, would, they, would they see patterns of generosity? Would they see patterns of sacrifice? Or would they see patterns of luxury? Would they see patterns of overindulgence? Would they see a pattern of you making investments with an ret- eternal return in mind? Or would they see you only padding your retirement? What would they see? Would they look at your finances and say, man, this person must be living for later and not living for now. Let me tell you, this really came to my mind um, just over the summer. I got to visit my grandfather, 96 years old. Yeah, awesome, awesome dude. Probably could still beat me in arm wrestling, which I don't know if that's that big of an achievement. But awesome guy, right? I, I love my grandfather and, and uh, the, the best part. Uh, the best part was that I'm going to cry. The best part was the second day. We're just talking. And um, to hear him talk about Jesus was like the sweetest thing. Right? I mean, it was, I can't tell you how much it meant to me. I mean, it was, it's an anchor memory in my life of my grandfather. I'll never forget that moment of him just, he, there's a point where he like looked down and then he looked in my eyes. And we're talking about Psalms 23. He brought it up. And he goes, just, Paul, that's my Savior. And I was like, man. I mean, I was just moved. Now, I'm not surprised. My grandfather has been following Jesus for a very long time. And you know what, what made that really clear to me when I was young, when I wasn't following Jesus? I can think of two, two examples of when I was young. First one is this. The way my grandfather sang in church. Now, he took me to church when I didn't like Jesus, didn't like church, didn't like any of the part of it. But he was taller than me, so I had to go. Right? And he's still taller than me. Literally, I think if he's bending down, tying his shoes, he's still taller than me. He's a really tall man. You're like, Paul, what happened? I don't know. I may be adopted. I haven't figured it out yet. That's why I'm not taking 23 and me. I don't want to know. Okay? I don't want to know. Okay? But I, I remember being in church, man, and Grandpa in his suit, 
decked out, and I had a bow tie. There are no photos. You will not find it, okay? Decked out, and he would sing these songs in this, like, deep baritone voice. And I remember thinking this, man, I don't believe any of what these people are singing, but he believes it. I know he believes it because in the volume of his voice and the emotion on his face. Now, hear me, a little side note here. You bring your grandkids to church, sing. Parents, you bring your kids to church, sing. You bring your friends to church, sing. If your voice is terrible, that's fine. Tell us, we'll turn the volume louder. That's why we put the good voices in the microphones. But I'm serious. The scriptures talk about how we sing to one another. So sing. Sing. If you love them, sing. Embarrass yourself. And if you feel really embarrassed, sit next to me. I'm usually over there. Sing over there. That's the terrible singing group right here. Sorry, guys. You know it's true, right? We're like, we know. We know what's going on, okay? Second, Second is this. I remember walking into my grandpa's house and, and he had this like long, really hallway and this entryway and this den was right here. It's like an office area and this giant desk is really, really cool, right? And so I remember coming in and you can imagine me as a kid. I was just as annoying, if not more, right? Question asker, ton of energy. And I was like, hey, grandpa, what are you doing? Right? He probably was like, geez, one less grandkid would be great. <laughs> All right? And he's just like, and I was like, grandpa, what are you doing? And he goes, well, um, I'm writing checks. I'm paying bills. And I was like, oh. So I walked in there, and he's writing checks, and he's got his ledger, all his stuff, right? And he goes, Paul, the first check I always write is to my church. And that stuck with me. I knew he really loved Jesus the way he sang and the way he gave. Now, he could have if he wanted to. He could have. He could have not spent that money. He could have not written that check. He could have had more for now. And my grandpa was a, man, he still is, very tight with his finances. Grew up in the Great Depression, right? Fought in World War II, defeated the Nazis, go grandpa, right? He, I mean, he, he's a stud and he is a saver. And he does not take out car loans ever, cash for everything, right? That's who he is, right? That's, I learned a lot of my financial practices from my grandfather. But that guy was generous with his church. Because he believed in that mission. And he could have, he could have had more in that moment to enjoy now. Or he could have had more for later. He could have sacrificed and gave. And at the day of judgment, received a reward for the generosity of that moment. And that's exactly how the scriptures describe it. We will receive reward for our obedience. We will receive reward for our generosity. So what are you living for? What will come up on that day? What reward will you receive? If you're stingy now, what will it look like on that day? Are you living for now? Or are you living for later? I hope you're living for later. Now, maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And you're like, you know what, Paul? I got every reason not to follow him now. Thank you. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. I really do. I hope that's not the case. Here's what I hope. I hope you're thinking about how it all ends. I hope you're thinking about that day. See, because I want that day to be a day of blessing for you. I want that day to be a day of reward for you. I want that day to be a day where God says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Come enjoy the joy of your master. That's what I want you to hear, man. I don't want you to hear, depart from me, I don't know you. 
I don't want you to hear, yes, you were full and now you're hungry forever. Yes, you were laughing, but now you're mourning. I don't want that day for you. I don't want that day for you. Please, live with the end in mind. Ask those questions. How do my actions and my attitude right now in the present shape what that day looks like? Jesus is forcing you into that forcing you to think that. Elevate your vision and look at the end. Don't get to the end surprised. Don't get to the end because I'm not going to say I told you so. What I'm going to say is, woe are you. I'm sorry. That's not what I wanted for you. That's not what God wants for you. And today, literally today, you can make a decision that shapes your eternity. You can make a decision that shapes your future. Because if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that day will be a day where God says, you're in fellowship with me forever. You know my creator, or you know who I am. I am your creator. You're with me. And when you make that decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you start following him. Those moments of following, those moments of obedience, he'll bring up here and say, guess what? Reward for you. Reward for you. Great job. Great job. Great job. And that's what I want for you. I want it to be a time of eternal fellowship, and I want it to be a time of reward. That's what I want for you. But today, today could shape that day. And your today does shape that day. I hope today you're living for later. I'm going to pray a prayer here just in a moment as I wrap things up. If you want to take the step to follow Jesus today, you can do that. You can do that. If you're ready for it, you can do that. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, you are so generous to us. You are the great giver. You're our creator. You are our benevolent father. Man, you shower us with blessings. I pray, Father, that you would find us to be a generous people, to be a people who are living for later, people who, who want to, to give to shape the eternity of other people. We want to we give because we love you, Lord. I pray, Father, that all of our decisions, how we parent, how we drive our cars, how we handle our finances, I pray everything is shaped by our perspective of living for later. And for those of you in this room that you haven't yet committed your life to Jesus Christ, if that's you in this room and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I'm ready. I just don't know how to do it, but I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus. Today, I'm ready to start this journey. Just know in the silence of your own heart, you could pray a prayer that I'm praying right now here in a moment. That's not magical, but it's meaningful if it comes from your heart. Between you and God, you could say something like this. You can say, "I I understand and I admit that I'm a sinner. That I've broken your rules, broken your laws, moved away from your design. I admit that. Today, I believe that Jesus died and that he rose again for the forgiveness of my sin. I needed forgiveness and he has provided it. Today, I receive that. And today, I confess Jesus as the Lord of my life, that he's the boss. He is the authority in my life. He calls the shots. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.